Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. And we're back, Chris. Hello, how are you, Henry? We made, somehow made it through uh, March, and now we've landed in April. April 1982, we've made it. Somehow, we're stumbling through. I'm glad you said that that way, Henry, because it gives me a chance to say this. Which is, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. For me, this episode is the most quintessential episode of 80s popular music that we've done so far. I can't think of a better survey across all genres of music from the 80s. Um, Not necessarily great, but all genres of of like popular music. And then I kind of wrote this down. If you want to know what the 80s pop radio sounded like in the early 80s, I think this episode is an easy shorthand. I mean, well, looking across what the records what we're going to look at, it, that makes sense that you would make that thing here. Did you did you feel this way too? I I knew when we when I looked at the list for this episode, I, I had a good working knowledge of all of these albums, but I don't think except maybe one that I actually owned any of them. No, I only owned uh, one of these. But did you kind of feel like, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. More so uh, than... I, more than some of the other months that we've gone into. Like, I, there might have been two that I had not listened to front to back. Right. Already. So so with that teaser, Henry... We're, we're like, um, I will say one thing. You, sure. um, you you might decide to cut this. We got, I got a little feedback from our um, from our message. Was it, is it a, what, is it positive feedback? No, it was negative. Okay. I'm going to cut it. <laughs> so he said, we apologize too much for not understanding or, or being like, we've like apologizing for being unqualified too much. He said, okay. I, I, and I said, I told him, I said, I appreciate you saying that the truth is we were incredibly unqualified. <laughs> Henry, let me, let me respond to that first by saying, I apologize. Um, <laughs> you're exact. You're you're absolutely right. We should not apologize so much. I'm sorry for that. I'll see if we can do better. And all I can say is that I'm sorry, and give you my sincere apology and and, and a heartfelt apology. And that's all I can do. And if it's that's okay, cool. I apologize. But I, I guess we ought to go ahead and do some uh, significant events, Henry. Amen. So, Sally Ride. In April of 1982, was named the first U.S. woman astronaut. That's right. That's right. And um, I am, you know, you're the space nerd here. I felt like I was. I, I was kind of into it as a kid, but you were really into it. So did that did that event really um, hit hard with you when you were a kid or, or no, the significance no. of it hit later? It, the significance was later. I mean, if, and at the time, I'm like, well, of course, you know, there's a female astronaut right you know? like why why hadn't there been one up why until now there, there one before sure you know? 
Um, Henry, on April 27th, the trial of John Hinckley began for the shooting of President Ronald Reagan. Now, I, I Henry, the, the interesting thing for me doing the research on this one was, you know that famous picture? I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the famous picture of kind of like just after the shooting happens and it's like a, a bunch of dudes standing around and there's one dude laid out on the ground? Yeah. And, but the, pre- yeah. the, like Reagan's already in the, in the car and gone or on the way it gone. I never mm-hmm. could identify who was who and who was laying where. And I was like, was that a Hinkley laying on the ground in front or, and that was not, that was the, uh, uh, the other, the other politician guy that got shot yeah, on the ground. Right. The guy that got shot that uh, he was a Republican and he got shot in the head who eventually came out in favor of gun control. As a I, and there was a uh, Brady. It was his name. There's actually James, Br- James Brady, right? The Brady bill was named after him. But yeah, um, if you look at that photo, I think there's a little huddled mass of dudes like holding Hinkley down. Like the, um, the best part of that photo though, is there's a guy in that suit, like an 80s suit with a, a mm-hmm. submachine gun standing there. It looks very <laughs> the Matrix. Oh my God. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. No assault weapons ban just yet. <laughs> yeah. No, and I guess <laughs> submachine guns were cool back then because I don't remember that the that the Secret God, Service damn. carry those right now. But um Henry, what's our, our third and final significant event? It was a slow month. <laughs> <laughs> so the no, the movie Porky's. Was number one at the box for the entire month. It rained supreme. I looked it up. It rained supreme for like nine weeks at the box office. I don't know that Porky's could come out today at the box office. You don't think? I Too think, misogynistic, right? Yeah, I don't think that that movie would get made today. And in fact, I'm not sure that there's a lot of people under 30 that have actually even seen Porky's. They did sequel after sequel to this thing. I did not know that. I didn't know there was. Multiple. Porkies. It was Porky's too. The next. Oh yeah, day. I remember Porky's. <laughs> I forgot about that. Remember that? And probably a Porky's three. <laughs> it was Porky's. Porky's Revenge. Porky's Pip and Pee Wee. That was a number. That, they did that one in two thousand nine. Porky's Pip and Pee Wee. It's a movie that was a remake of the original <laughs> Porky's called Porky's Pip and Pee Wee. <laughs> Wow. You, you see the stuff you learn listening to 80s Music Exposed? You only get it here. Let's talk about music, man. Yeah, let's do some of that, and let's get off this porky tip. <laughs> All right, Henry. So the albums we're going to cover, of course, are from April of 1982, and the first one is the only one of these five that I think I actually owned at the time. It is by a band called Van Halen. The album is called Diver Down. And the song I'm going to play is called Little Guitar.
Yeah, so real quickly, this is just, this one's taking me back, man. So like two, two concerts in a row. I saw the Fair Warning Tour, which was the okay. album before, as a child. I know that it was the Fair Warning Tour because my grandmother took me. My dad and mom would not take me, and they wouldn't let me go without, a, without an adult. So my grandma volunteered to take me to my first Van Halen concert. So you were 11? 11, 11, 11 yeah. At, towards the end of the show, someone <clears throat> threw a huge banner on the stage that said, Fuck Iran, because the Iran hostage crisis was happening. Oh, okay. And so um, I was with my grandma at the time, and I wanted to jump up and yell, Fuck Iran, but I couldn't because my grandma was with me. We actually got into a car accident on the way home because I think my grandma was oh, high. No. I think she got a contact From the bus. contact high? Yeah. And so when we got home, uh, my dad said after that, you can go to whatever concert you want by yourself. I'm not going to make your grandma go anymore. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, Henry, so um, as, as apropos for this album, um, this album came out not very long after Fair Warning, and, and that's part of the story of it. But I'm not even sure they wanted to put this album out. I, this plays into my whole like opinion on this thing. What I read about the cover, first of all, the cover of Diver Down is a is a scuba flag. David Lee Roth said it's meant to it's meant to imply that there's something going on that's not readily apparent. David Lee Roth, I mean, that dude is smart. To me, Diver Down is the album that is what's going on below the surface is they are learning how to transition from being this heavy rock band right. to being right. this heavy pop band that on their next album is going to basically rule the world for right. That's months. absolutely true. I think you've read my notes. You must have cribbed. No, I did not read exactly it. what I wrote. <laughs> um, but it's, I think, but it's interesting scaring. that they learned how to do that by doing covers. Basically they did. Yeah. There, there, there's like five covers, I think on this album. Yes. It's, I, I would call this a transitional album. I can look at it almost academically and say, this record didn't have to come out, but it had to come out for it to be Van Halen. Yeah, so so they did. Right? So what was happening was so fair warning. If you if you if you listen to Fair Warning, Van Halen from their first album, which was just called Van Halen, until the fourth album, Fair Warning, get heavier and heavier and darker and darker. And by Fair Warning, which I think Van Halen fans will consider their like dark album like downer kind of thing. And I think the record company was like, look guys, you're going the wrong direction. We're not selling records. We need some hits. Why don't you do a cover while you're, because Eddie Van Halen said we were going to take a, we'd been touring so much. We were going to take a year off and figure shit out. And they talked us into doing a cover. The cover ended up doing so well on the radio that the, all of a sudden the record company was like, we need a whole album and you should do all covers. Now, telling Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth they have to do something was kind of like, ah, fuck you. I think David fuck Lee Roth you. would have done all covers, except they told him they had to. So they end up writing a record that's about half covers and half their own songs. But, Henry, they kind of learn how to do what I think is they carve out almost their own space, which is kind of like this heavy pop, which is coming mm -hmm. on 1984. I was shocked to learn, Henry, because I think of this album, and I think a lot of Van Halen fans think of this album as not really an album, but it sold like it sold like four million copies. So it did great. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about this too, Henry, it, for me, is the songs that are originals all just sound like riffs. Like the one we just played, I don't know that there's even a chorus, verse, chorus structure. It just sounds like Eddie had some leftover riffs or some riffs that he put together and David Lee Roth made songs out of them. 
I don't I don't think David Lee Roth has ever given the credit for his songwriting because like the song Little Guitars we just listened to, he said, I just took that riff that Eddie had, the and made a song out of it, which is kind of incredible that he made that because I think everyone kind of says, oh, Roth was the big dummy that just kind of sang. Or that was my impression always. The, everything that I read said that Eddie Van Halen didn't really care for the album too much. He said it takes as much time to make a cover song sound original as it does to just write the song. The one song that doesn't work here is like Dancing in the Streets is, isn't great, like the way they did it. Which is interesting because that's the song that the record company originally said that's the one they want to release as the single as a cover before they, and they were like, yeah. no. Did you know, well, did you find this, Henry, that they they had played Kinks covers when they started? So they yes. already had like 10 Kinks covers in the can that they could just do. In my notes, I said, you know, it's like the album forces them to deal with the likes of song structures that Roy Orbison would have done. Uh, and, and, uh, and putting their version of the Kinks on record was kind of important, but it was all a lead up to my mind to the juggernaut that's coming. The thing that's going to blow your mind. Right. But here's the, and and isn't it interesting though, Henry, like what you said is just apropos. The songs on here that are originals are still just ideas that they didn't flesh out, but they learned how to write the songs they needed to write by doing these covers. Anyways, everything that came out of this record, it was a hit record. It taught them how to be what they were going to be. It's got these decent riffs on it, and it sounds very energetic, but I can't really recommend it because, to me, it doesn't sound like an album. Okay, so the reason I'm not, I have, I find this, my last sentence here is that I find this interesting in just an academic way. I can't imagine that somebody who lived today would want to go look at Diver Down as the record, the Van Halen record, to listen to. That, it's, it sounds coming. like a. It this sounds like it. a. It sounds like a broken first draft for yeah. 1984. Yeah, which is coming. Yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. not. I, I liked it, and I guess it's worth a listen. But I'm not going to recommend it. Yeah, me either. Not a recommendation. For but me. I could talk about it all night. Holy shit! It's such an interesting record. <laughs> Henry, what's yeah. our next record? Moving right along. So the next one we're going to uh, consider is a Paul McCartney record. It's called Tug of War. We're going to play not the most famous song on this uh, on this record that probably anybody who's into 80s music would know, but we are going to play the other lesser-known hit, I think. It's called uh, Take It Away.
this was Paul McCartney's 11th album after the Beatles breakup, but it was the first record that he did after the death of John Lennon. It's also it's also just it's also the first solo album after the breakup of Wings. He was working on the record when John was killed. He he was working on it with George Martin. This is the first one he had worked on with George Martin, uh, the first solo record he'd worked on with George. I didn't know that, really. They took that two-month break and then came back to to complete it. It was a big, when I say big departure, I think it was a return to form. Like, we we listened to the last sort of McCartney art record, you remember? Coming up. You know, people, yeah, people could say some of his stuff was like, you know. I think he was definitely experimenting on that record with the new sounds of the 80s. On this record, man, some of the songs are kind of all all over the map. I thought, and um, and and to, and to follow up on your point, real quick, Henry, a lot of people. I, I saw this term. I thought was interesting. A lot of people said it was a return to form for Beetle Paul. So, yeah. like, not Wings Paul, and not Paul doing weird eighties uh, trying to be with the new times, yeah. but like but this that, is but this is what people song, expected from Paul McCartney. But wasn't that first song, Tug of War wasn't like a single. The song wasn't, right? It was not. But that was a pretty good song, I thought. Well, a couple things for me, Henry, and, and I'll get you to react to this. The, the first thing is I was shocked to, I read all that stuff before I listened to it. To me, this record sounds all over the map like you talked about, number one. Number two, the guest stars or the guest folks that he has on there, I think overshadow him when they're around. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know how that's a return to Beetle Paul. Number three, <laughs> I, th- I think it sounds like a lot of leftover Wings songs in a way to me. Did you? And I'm not a big, huge Wings guy. So I was like, this is, this doesn't, like comparing this to the Beatles is kind of like not yeah, a good idea. I would never. So when I listen to the song that he wrote for John Lennon after his death, that's on yeah. there. Um, all it made me think of was, wow, John Lennon was so much better at writing monumental, memorable songs post Beatles. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. I think, I think this. I agree with you. I think this just shows how far ahead of Paul McCartney Lennon became. Because I actually yeah. think during the Beatles, there's an argument to be made that that um, Paul McCartney made the better contributions. I know that's splitting hairs. But I think well, you said it's yeah. Post Beatles, John Lennon went into a different era. I mean, you, you, you but take, you hear, but but of people who are McCartney fans, like this was, this was the sweet McCartney, the guy that was the sweet to Lennon sour, and so it made me realize that this these songs, it's McCartney will always disappoint me with his schmaltzy sweetness. I'm sorry. That's I just, just the words I wrote were can, listless, overwrought, sappy, silly, and quite frankly, yeah. it's a bad Wings record. And but like, and that's the problem. It's like I, I'm in no position to criticize Paul McCartney. Okay, but but I'll tell you that when I listen to his work, I will always be like disappointed. All right, here, well, okay, song, I, like the, like my favorite he, song on here is this is a Stevie Wonder song. It doesn't even sound like a Paul the first McCartney one, song. The first one, the like first the, one, badass, yeah, yes, like, not not because, Ebony and Ivory, no. And then when he started, but when he started in, you're like ah. Oh. And then it's like you're really trying to get soulful with 
Stevie Wonder? It yeah. just sounds uh, kind of oh, weird. Oh, how great is it that Paul McCartney was <laughs> interested in R&B music? It's really oh, interesting to me that we both had the same reaction to the record that Paul McCartney was everyone else thinks is Paul McCartney's great comeback to being what he's supposed to be. I just found it to be, ugh. Hey, I, have you heard of that, the brand of Yamaha keyboard, that keyboard knockoff? Have you heard of it? What is that called? The, the piano keyboard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah what is a piano keyboard anyway mm. who the fuck said, they just said hey we gotta squeeze this word in <laughs> oh so i piano. guess so I, I hate to say this because i actually thought going into this i was going to enjoy that record but no i'm going to give it a thumbs down i think you did as well i did i like to tug of war pretty good all right the next album we're going to cover is by a band called scorpions not the scorpions they're called scorpions okay they're German, so they don't use the. Like, we are scorpions. Uh, the album is called Blackout, not the Blackout. It's called Blackout. And this song is called No One Like You. So, Henry, I'm going to put forth that I don't think they did as good a job at it, but I think they beat Van Halen to the same spot. I think this oh. album is not actually a heavy metal album. I think this is a heavy pop album. Did you did you notice how many of these songs were really like love songs? Like, Yeah, and, and I was pleasantly surprised that these all these songs were really tight, good pop songs. I could imagine most of these songs being played by a new wave band and reconfigured and they'd be fine. And I'm not criticizing what they did with them. I I think, Henry, to me, this is the blueprint for what Mutt Lang was going to try to do or was already trying to do with Def Leppard and some other bands later on. I didn't realize at the time, I always thought the, the Scorpions, I always thought Scorpions were a heavy metal band like Dio or uh, Megadeth. They are not. They're they fooled you, though. They're like a pop See, band, right? They were, but like the reason that people thought they were really metal was well, first of all, the guitars were like there was that, but they're but really, also, but they're really tight, right? They're really not. They're not very really crazy and wild. They're just these tight. Yeah, yeah, very. Uh, the, they 
you can kind of always tell a Scorpion song because they have those twin lead things that happen. The twin guitar right? attack, man. Come on. Yeah, the twin. Yeah, the twin guitar thing. Yeah, it's like you they're know, harmonizing like, and and coiling mm-hmm. all over each other. And then, of course, on top of that, you've got the famous story of the um, the vocalist. And I can't help, help me with his name. He ripped his vocal cords recording this album and had to have surgery right in the middle. And there's so Klaus actually, May, Klaus Main is his Main. Yes, I think is his name. Yes, thank you. And they were so ready. I, this is my favorite part of the story. They were just ready to ditch his vocals like instantly. <laughs> there is a recording out there somewhere, bootlegs of Don Dawkin recorded <laughs> all the vocals for this album in case that guy couldn't make it back. Which so, I'm kind of like, Jesus, that's kind of harsh, but... Well, it, but six of one, half dozen of another, maybe, I mean... Yeah, but I want to give the guy credit for his own album. And I mean, apparently it, that rushed him back, and and, it, and the painful post-surgery vocals are what they used. I have a theory about why this band was was popular. I think the German guy singing, singing English vocals, like in this weirdly kind of English-challenged way... Like coming through, I think people perceive it as cute. I think I think there's a lot you know, of I think there's a lot of cute going on with this band that I didn't <laughs> remember. Yeah, do you know I, what I mean? Yeah, I don't I know see how what you're to, saying. It's yeah, it's like, kind of like it's, oh, oh, he's trying to sing for us. So dude, everybody was on, like, "That's so cute." <laughs> so later on, these same guys do "Wind of Change." Thank remember you, "Wind that? of Change." I was struggling for that, right? There, all right. So, listeners, there is a podcast out there that I have fallen asleep on two times, but I swear to God, I'm going to listen to it. And it, it the the podcast says that the song "Winds of Change" was actually written by the CIA. Oh dear Lord! There's a conspiracy theory about. Yes. Scorpions. Now, right. I, so, uh, dear listeners, look this pot up and give it a listen. I'm going to try to get through it before we visit. Yeah. Again. And, and Henry just but, Henry must really be into it because for him to commit the cardinal sin of mentioning and saying, listen to another podcast right. on, yeah. our podcast. <laughs> on my own. Um, well, I'm saying it because I think it's really interesting. I want to check it out. That does sound because weird. what about those guitars panned left and right? I, mean, I know. I know. It was like the shit, right? I think this really whole good. I think this whole thing was put together really well. I think I, I wrote in my notes that this is eighties crossover metal, almost at its absolute best. I think it's 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 going to be topped by the album nineteen eighty four by Van Halen. But other than that, it's right there. And Henry, just uh, you have to say this too: not just the hit. Um, all these songs on there are three minute pop songs that could have been on the radio. I was shocked that yep. there wasn't more hits off this album. Yeah. Um, normally with like metal records, I do have a little bit of ear fatigue and I, I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't have the same kind of no, ear and, that I normally get. And I've got two points on that, which I know are, if we have metal fans left after the way we've decimated the metal field out there um my first point is i wanted to call it one of the best metal records that we've covered and a surprisingly joyful uh experience for me but i don't think it's really a metal record even though it is on the 100 best metal records of all time list this record is a pop record it's not a metal record also i'm my point number two real quick henry is i'm going to give it a qualified recommendation because i think if you're into 80s pop music but you're like you need something a little heavier, but you're not a metal fan. This is your album. This is the I, one. I'm going to give it a thumbs up because if you were in, if you came around in the '80s and went to school the same time I did, 
and he saw all the guys walking around with like Dawkins t-shirts and like Scorpions t-shirts and he thought that they were real fucking hard and like real cool and that they could kick your ass and stuff. Listen to a Scorpions record today and you will feel so much better. Okay? You won't feel bad about listening to your flock of seagulls and fix records. Right. And that's how Henry picks his recommendations. So it's a good thumbs up record for me. I think it's worth your time. Excellent. All right, Henry, what's our next record? Okay, the next record that we're going to consider is, you know, his mama calls him John Cougar, so I'm going to call him John Cougar. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, but (laughs) his mama never did call him John Cougar, by the way. No, she did not. But the record is, uh, is called American Fool. The song we're going to listen to is a classic called Jack and Dane. This album, Henry, you kind of didn't make a faux pas because this is the first album where the guy is trying to be John Mellencamp. He's just trying oh, to be it? his normal, in my opinion. This is the first album where he's like, I'm not trying to please the record company. Oh. I'm not trying to be Johnny Cougar, this star that they're trying to make me into. But he didn't drop the name until, well, he didn't drop, he didn't become John Cougar Mellencamp until the next album. I think, but this record is the first one where he was like, fuck it. I'm going to start doing the shit I want to do the way I want to do it. And mm-hmm. and damn it, Henry, for me, and I was already at 11, I was already starting to turn away from American rock and roll music. I was already starting to say, I don't want to hear Bruce Springsteen. I don't want to hear the Rolling Stone, uh, although they're not American. I didn't want to hear any of that rock and roll shit anymore. I'm a new wave guy. I want to hear synthesizers and stuff. So I never really listened to this much. This record is as timeless as a Tom Petty record, or a, I would even say a Bruce Springsteen record. This guy is yeah. the Heartland version of those dudes, and I don't yeah. think he ever's gotten the credit for it. It's the one record. This guy, this one record, shot him up to be spoken of in the same breath as a Tom Petty or Bruce Springsteen or Bob Seger. 
or anybody like that. I would even um, go so but, far as to say a Bob Dylan. I mean, I think he's the uh, mid a Midwestern version of those guys. Weirdly enough, the song that we chose to play, Jack and Diane, was rescued by a British guitar player. Was it Mick Ronson? Yeah, it was, Mark, yeah, Mick, it was Mick, Mick. It was Mick Ronson. Mick Ronson, who uh, rescued Jack and Diane from the fucking trash can. And let's just say for a minute here, if people who may not know, Mick Ronson is Mick Ronson from Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Uh, David Bowie fame. He basically the first three or four David Bowie records. He's all over. And so the guy, which is weird to me, I didn't know he did that at all with this record. I was shocked so, to see his name associated with John Cougar. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know it at all, right? So and also he is the one apparently who was resp- we didn't get to that in the clip that we have to play because we'll get a takedown if we play the whole thing. The let it rock, let it roll part. Right. That that was Mick Ronson's idea. Like right. do a breakdown in the middle. He said that's all him. And so and another thing about that that I think people don't know about this album is that it was produced by Don Geeman. Who anybody who likes who knows REM or whatever, he's the guy that produced Life's Rich Pageants. So everything that Don Geeman ever touched was like it was full of purpose. That's that that was what his thing was. He took the band that he had and filled the the and 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 made it powerful and strong and loud yeah, on but, the record. Yeah, because purposefully. that's that's interesting because I can hear a through uh, a, a thread through this album and Life's Rich Pageant. I also want to say, Henry, I, I love this album now, and I I did not as a kid. I didn't give, even give it a chance in the eighties. I didn't know. I didn't really. I mean, I knew the two songs. I knew "Hurt So Good" and "Jack and Diane," which you had to know because it was all over the radio. But uh, the yeah. rest of the album's and, great. And I had this album. I did. I probably got through at the time maybe the first six or seven songs. But as an adult, I have a far different appreciation for it than I did then. I think we both. I don't know. I, I think there was a time, a point in time where we, we went through a transition to where we both, by the 90s, were completely um, antagonistic towards American music, mm-hmm. um, almost completely. So I never really came back to this guy until his late career in the uh, late 2000s, uh, post-2010 era, where he started to try to do le- a legacy, kind of like, oh, shit, I need to do... <laughs> Some uh, legacy records, which I, I would recommend. Some of his later stuff is really great, but I don't think he has anything to be ashamed of with this record. I, Henry, am actually going to nominate this for Chris's '80s canon list. Um, I can see why. I can absolutely see why. But I, you know, I, I don't think he ever topped this record. I don't. I don't know that anything he did was ever as good as any of, of this stuff. I can't wait um, to find out because I never listened to the guy. I didn't like him at all. So you I, didn't? No. So I guess we'll we'll see what he did on the next but, record. And so another reason why I'll give this uh, record, well, two reasons. One, two reasons. He wanted to, he really liked In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. Oh, I love and, how you go always go back to Phil Collins. And he wanted to, and he played it for Don and said, I want the big bombastic drum part like for the, for, for myself, for what I do, except in my folk way. And he did it. Jack and Diane. Let it rock. Let it roll. That's, you know, I think you're, I I think you're on like a six episode streak of mentioning. 
I work it into the conversation, but it's true. You do the research. It's all. I think by the end of this, I think here. by the end of this series of, of podcasts, Henry is going to be an unabashed Phil One Collins fan. One wise choice he made, though, <laughs> which I'll credit him for, is he didn't put any damn saxophone anywhere on this thing. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you kept your, so your hatred for John, saxophone. <laughs> big ups, John. You got my thumb up for that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I'm actually going to call this '80s canon, in in my mind is a is a must listen if you're gonna if you're gonna find out what the '80s really sound like. All right, our final record is by a band called Toto, and the album is called I'm never a big fan of these. Uh, Toto Four, that's Roman numeral four, um, and the song we're going to play. I have to play it, Henry, even though I'm sure you don't you don't want to hear this, but it's called Africa. I absolutely want to hear it. All right, here it is. Deal with that, Henry. That shuffle? Are you kidding me? I mean, come on. And that keyboard? You gotta get out of here. Get out of here. You can't touch that shit. No. Nobody can. That shit is dope. That shit, I don't give a fuck who you are. You will love this fucking song. There's no, they found it. They, the, you know what I mean? Oh, they found it. That, that song, I mean, I, nobody it, nobody dislikes crack. that song. It is crack. <laughs> nobody. Nobody can touch it. Weezer could not fucking do that song. Oh no, they did a p- terrible version. Yeah, you're right. That song they is did a terrible version of it. Henry, I don't I have no idea where you were gonna come down on this record, but I thought in my mind you were gonna hate it. So I made a list that's called Eight Points Why Toto Four is awesome. Give them all. Give them all. Point Go. number one. This is the fourth album. These dudes were under pressure after two total dud albums. So they went back to the formula from the first album and said, we're just going to make fucking hits. And boom, they did it. 
<laughs> and so they made hits. They made fucking hits. Point number two. This album took months to make and was delayed because these badass mofos were working on two other albums, helping out a couple buddies. Who was it? Michael Jackson with Thriller and Chicago with a little album called Chicago 16. And that's not Roman numerals, bitches. (laughs) Yeah, that's Arabic. And Arabic is stupid. Point number three. These motherfuckers upped, one-upped, yes, and Asian, all that shit, and I'll tell you why. Because they were song first, prog second. Did you listen to yet to Asia last week, last month? If you want to hear how it's done wrong, listen to Asia. You want to hear some motherfuckers who just put songs like one part over another part. These fucking guys wrote part, parts. I mean, they wrote the song together. These guys wrote songs, not parts. And yeah, they're all session musicians, but that's because they're humble and they know how to write a fucking song and not sit around and wank all day. Point number four, swords and rings are awesome. (laughs) Point number five, (laughs) this is the quintessential early 80s, middle of the road AOR record. And that is badass, bitch. Point number (laughs) five, you want 80s gold in different styles of hits? I'll tell you what you do. You listen to a song called I Want to Hold You Back Now. That out, Chicago, Chicago. You listen to Africa. That out, Doobies the Doobies. You listen to Roseanne. That Rosanna, that out, Asia's Asia. You listen to Foreigner 4. You want Foreigner 4? I got one for you. I got Roman numerals, bitch. Good for you, Lovers in the Night. That out, Frank Stallone, Stallone for 80s movie soundtrack montage. And finally, Never Been Afraid, that out, Boston's Boston. I'm done. This album rules. Mic drop. (laughs) Man, these guys are nerds. There is a video on YouTube, Henry, of the drummer, and it's a Mm 20-minute dissertation on how he came up with the beat for Africa. That guy go, is a nerd. Right, go, listeners, I'll send you somewhere else. Go to YouTube. Go look for Jeff Porcaro doing the Rosanna Shuffle. Okay? No vocals. It's just him. And you listen to that kick drum, and you don't tell me this motherfucker couldn't play the drums. Dude, these guys, okay, so let's, get, let's give a little too. bit of history. These guys were all sessions players. Like we said, they helped record Chicago 16 for Chicago because those motherfuckers are lame. Porcaro played with Chris's favorite jerk-off band, Steely Dan. Yes, which I love Steely Dan. (laughs) And also, they did most of the music for Thriller, which... Right. Right right after this, they went to work on Thriller. Then right after that, they went to do the soundtrack for fucking Dune. They took fucking Brian Eno out on the soundtrack for Dune. Now, if you take Eno out for a David Lynch film, you must be a fucking badass. (laughs) <laughs> also, Henry, not to get too worked up, the only, I have to say, the only band, and I have, to, I have to be honest, the only band that I could think of that even touched them in this same field was Journey. But I would contend that they're better than Journey on Toto 4 because Journey always had fucking filler, right? There was never a complete Journey album that was right, good. Right, right. This album they, had no filler. It's all quality 80s shit. And uh, Kenny Loggins wishes he had been in Toto around this time. Kenny Loggins couldn't touch Toto's butthole. <laughs> it went, it's like, it's, uh, anyway, uh, it, apparently, so that that cover that was done, it was meant to represent, the, the rings were supposed to represent every record they'd done, right? So it was like each one a little more worn than the next one, which I thought was interesting. 
Um, I just think so, like snakes and swords and rings and shit are bad. So yeah, so uh, Toto proved that they were probably the most fully versatile group of musicians that um, that ever played prog rock or tried to go pop at all. I've also so, got another list, Henry, called more badass facts about Toto. Go ahead. Uh, did you know that the members of Toto's were regular players on albums by Steely Dan, Boz Skaggs, Sonny and Cher, and many others? In fact, did you know that the most famous Boz Skaggs record, Silk Degrees, most of the songs on that album were written by members of Toto? They didn't just play on it. They wrote the fucking song. These guys, these guys, I'm telling you what. They don't get the credit they deserve, and they look like total tools now. I don't know what's going on with them trying to... They're old. They're old. We're going to look like tools. But I love this album. I'm going to recommend it. I'm not calling it canon. I don't think I can call two albums from the same episode canon, but I think you can tell by how worked up we got. I'm really... I love this album. And I was, Henry, I, was I thought to, you were going to hate... Sell it to you. I no, thought I was you were going to hate this record. No, no, no. I don't I don't hate it at all. In fact, I was so pleasantly surprised by the quality of it after coming off Asia. I expected I looked at the cover and thought, oh, this guy is gonna be bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh but then I got through Rosanna's like, that's a song. And then the next one went, that's a real song. Like no bullshit. That no bullshit. <laughs> These wrote. guys are no bullshit. <laughs> yeah, they are. Henry, I feel like we're going to get a completely different opinion on Toto, but we'll find out from Megan. So let's check in with her and see okay. what she's got going on. Hey, Megan. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good to We're doing voice. great. Are you in the dark with a with a glass of wine? <laughs> no, I have the lights on this time and no alcohol. Oh man, okay. Which I guess that's an improvement, maybe <laughs> depending on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We got some pretty hot takes last week. If you missed that, check out last week's episode. Yeah. Megan was on fire. <laughs> I like the new. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, the new. I don't care, Megan. It's great. I mean, I do care about things, but I mean. Some of these albums, not so much. Not so much, like, and we're just going to get the real deal. Yes. Shoot us uh-huh. straight. Mm-hmm. Well, That's what I do. Well, I, let's see if, if how, you, how much you cared about the first one. What did you think about Diver Down by Van Halen? Yeah, like, so I feel like I have kind of like rose-tinted glasses when it comes to Van Halen because I always mm-hmm. think that I really like them more than like when I listen to them. It's like, eh. Like David Lee Roth was a really good front man and a really good performer, but this album, eh. Like, I mean, I like little guitars a lot. That's like a really good song, but there's like a couple covers on the album and like some of the songs just feel very filler to me. I agree. There's, so there's like five covers on the album and I think we commented that. Is there really five? Yeah, Yeah, it's five. There's five. What? So where we came down was we called it a transitional album. Like we we felt this these guys were just trying to learn before they got to the big 1984 album. Yeah, which that album is great, but I've listened to that album like a few times in recent years, and like even that one, I'm like, yeah, there's some like really good jams on it, but overall. As an album, I mean, those songs could be on any Van Halen album, I feel. Yeah, we I have to tell you, though, a really quick, like, family story about... Everybody's <laughs> got Van Halen stories. Yeah, let's hear it. 
Okay, so my mom is like she's <clears throat> fairly conservative, but she loves David Lee Roth. Like he back in the day was like her crush, like perfect guy. She thought he was the best. And when mm-hmm. she's giving birth to me, um, this happens a lot. Uh, you're both men, so I feel like I have to explain it to you. But sometimes the woman's asshole will rip to sure. Great, that's the perfect response. So you need like an, I know you don't know where this is going yet, but uh, no, but it sounds it's fascinating. <laughs> so you have to get an episiotomy or right, it's totally, yeah. yeah, stitch it back together. Yep. And Wait. the guy that did that for my mom, like the nurse, she was like, I looked down and like he looked exactly like David Lee Roth. <laughs> so the guy who get who sewed your mom's asshole back together. <laughs> Yeah, like resembled heavily <sighs> David Lee Roth, allegedly. I was not there. <laughs> I never thought that was going to come up on Audi- music. Audience, but... you heard it first. This is why I click <laughs> the explicit box when I upload a podcast. Henry, not I, safe for work. Not Megan, that anybody is working in the office You're going to be shocked, uh, but in the 90s, Henry and I both worked in an OBGYN, so we knew all about the ripped, oh, yeah. ripped butthole syndrome. Both of you worked in the the same one. We worked together in the same office. It was a billing office. Yeah. Okay. I never would have guessed. Yes. What? Oh, the oh, the sordid past we have. Um, All right. Paul Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Tug of war. We both gave it a thumbs down. I just don't care about Paul McCartney. Schmaltzy. He seems really boring and like super vanilla, like really no edge. It's just not interesting to me. Like you kind of said, I mean, it is good for what it is. I'm not saying that he's bad. I mean, obviously he was in the Beatles. All right. And it's really like the more Paul McCartney albums because they're a fuck ton in the eighties, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. How about uh, Scorpions blackout? Um, I feel like so, and this could be totally unfounded, but I just view Scorpions as one of like the corniest fucking like metal bands in the <laughs> 80s, which is saying a lot too, because like this was the era of like cornball metal. We're not quite into it yet. Like this is still a little early. Um, so metal was kind of different. Like it wasn't the hair metal bullshit. I would quite say yet, maybe so. this, maybe Scorpions kind of ushered in that era. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely hold them partially responsible. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this album cover, I've seen this album cover so many times, but I didn't even know it was Scorpions. Yeah, the album cover, I don't love it. I mean, it's cool. It's kind of unsettling. I don't really like it. <laughs> well, and I don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not into metal really that much. So, like, no, I don't yeah. like super heavy metal. Like, I don't have a preference when it comes to that. Like, I would agree that I would typically probably pick poppier metal like if i had to pick john okay so john cougar american fool uh, we both really liked this my thing with john cougar is he changed his name like more <laughs> times than fucking p diddy like or diddy excuse me yeah. i don't know what is he now yes <laughs> i thought his name was just diddy I, now it is i think but times is tough. And he's, Maybe due, he's due for another change soon. <laughs> but I was just like, it's funny because obviously like John Cougar, like this was his like fifth album. That's right. I think something like that. So like, it's just as he goes on in his career, like you see the name changes, but like he never, like his style is always pretty much the same. <laughs> it's just interesting that somebody, like if you're going to change your name, you know, maybe you change your style a little bit more. 
which I think he's good. He kind of reminds me a little bit of a discount version of Bruce Springsteen. See, like, that's his, really, a discount Bruce Springsteen. He gets that a lot. Yeah, he's like the he's like the small town version of Bruce. Um, yeah, I, but I, this album is great. I mean, like this is a really good album. But the beginning of two songs on this record, you know, immediately from the intro lick. Oh, yeah, that's ingrained in my brain forever. I'll tell you something (laughs) else that's that's ingrained in the brain, and that's Africa by Toto from the album Toto 4. What'd you think of that one? Ingrained in the brain. (laughs) Yeah, in a terrible way. Um, So I don't know if you guys watched Stranger Things at all on Netflix. Okay, so they used Africa in, I believe, season one. And I feel like ever since then, people view Toto fondly. <laughs> and I don't think they should. <laughs> like, this should song, that song's not that great. Like, it's oh, oh, I knew we were going to get this uh, opinion. Are you kidding? Henry and I, we basically, we basically laid down and blew them just We loved it. <laughs> really? We were all up in some Toto. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you for your takes on this month's album. We didn't do the plugs at all for this episode yet. Do you want to go ahead and give the rundown? Yes. So social media for the podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 80s Exposed and then at 80s 374 on Instagram and then 80s Music Exposed on Facebook. And if you want to follow me, um, I'm at Bastards of Young 92 on Instagram and Megan Maddox on Facebook. All right, Megan, but, we will talk to you next week, hopefully from your new digs. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. All uh, right. Bye, guys. Awesome. awesome. Bye, Bye. Goodbye. All right, Henry, all that leaves is our picks of the episode. I didn't expect uh, her to... Well, I guess I did expect her not to like Toto. I thought she'd be nicer to Scorpions. Yeah, I did too. I did too. So it was a little bit little bit surprising. I don't okay, think young so people I, get Toto the way uh, people of our generation do, though. It's a stretch, right? You gotta yes. get. You have to earn acceptance. Toto had to earn acceptance. <laughs> you got to earn it. And it took them a while. It took them a long time. Like that song, that one song kind of rescued their entire. Um, well, you know, Henry, I, not, not, to, not to get too far off point, but I didn't bring this up. You know, of course, Toto is now in the Yacht Rock Hall of Fame. I mean, they are Yacht Rock gold. And I, I have a lot of nieces and nephews that are totally flabbergasted and don't get Yacht Rock at all. They don't understand why we like it why people of our age uh, reminisce about the soft rock from our childhood as if it was good. And are we being ironic or are we not being ironic or just what's mm-hmm. going on? So I can see that she didn't really think Africa is a great song, but man, well, y'all, she, y'all rock she purists done, love well, it. We got older and realized that our cursory rejection of that kind of music was just a reactionary thing. Not, it, it wasn't real. Like our, distaste for it was just about pushing our parents away this shit really was pretty good right, right. you know <laughs> they yeah. really do actually kind of like it yeah. it's reflected it's reflected in the kind of music that people of our ilk made later in life that's right like all, that's right. all of our coffee shop bands sounded like this kind of and even now if you're into chill wave and shit like that you're really yeah. a closet you're yacht, rock into yacht rock right if yeah. you're into chill wave and all that kind of stuff you're into yacht rock 
in, um, anyway, so my pick of the episode is going to be John Cougar's American Fool. Wow, I heard some hesitancy there. Were you almost about to say Toto 4? No, you staked out Toto so well that I got to give I got to give American Fool its due. Right? I can't. I can't. We've already talked. We we've already talked up Toto too much, and I got to. So yeah. yeah, my pick is going to be American Fool. That's a solid, solid record from a guy that deserves uh, the attention. Well, I, I hate to always do this, but I am going to pick the same album Henry is because I named it as a canon record uh, so there's true. no way i cannot so pick uh, american fool as my pick of the month i'm gonna have to take it and like asterisk the ones that you are you keeping a list i'm keeping a list i'm keeping a list oh, maybe good. next week uh on the pod we'll quickly run down what's canon so far I, I i am excited at the end of the 80s henry to see what's on that list from the entire yeah. decade what, yeah, what let's I make sure, we'll make sure that gets on the show. Uh, you can chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed. As uh, Megan said, Chris's Twitter handle is at TCI Duke. Mine is at Hank G, and you can talk to us there. Please listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends and rate and review us. Uh, Chris, you have anything else to add? No, I think that's it, Henry. Okay, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. <laughs>